You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. All right, after you get done meeting and greeting, you can find this passage in your Bibles. It's Psalm 91, 9 through 13. And we are kind of just in this fun habit. Uh, We've been in this fun habit for almost a year now of not putting the scriptures up, at least the introduction scriptures. So to kind of encourage you to turn to the passage in your own Bible, whether that be a physical Bible with paper or a Bible that is electronic on your cell phone or some other contraption. Um, But turn to Psalm 91. Today we are going to be talking about angels and demons. And so this passage has something to do with angels. Um, I'll give you another second to turn there, and then we'll start reading. Psalm 91, starting in verse 9 If you're there, raise your hand. All cool, like you've gotten, yeah, look how many cool people are already there. Yes. Okay, so it says this. It says, if you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling. So if you, if you say the Lord is your refuge, you make the Most High your dwelling, then it says this promise, which is pretty cool. It says, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Is that a guardian angel? Is this ver- the verse that some people say, well, maybe we have angels looking after us, a guardian angel? Maybe so. We're going to talk about that today. Then it says, verse 12, they will lift you up. These angels will lift you up in their hands so that you you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you for for scriptures that reveal things to us, like, like this scripture reveals something about how you protect us and you guide us, and somehow that involves angels Lord, would you give us insight this morning as to how you protect us, this, this fight between angels and demons and, and maybe spiritual warfare. God, give us insight, direction, understanding of this topic that's often very misunderstood. So we praise your name, Jesus. And everybody screamed. Amen. All right. Well, uh, I want to tell you a story about, it has to do with spiritual warfare. I want to tell you a story about an exorcism that I once saw. Interested? A little bit. Okay, good. Somebody is. Um, I was going to seminary, this seminary, uh, Fuller Theological Seminary in L.A., and this was my last year. It was a a three-year degree. I was on my third year, and I had finished all my, the the classes that you have to take, the classes for your particular majors um, for for my master's degree. And so all that I had left for this last semester was a few electives, and so I got to pick some classes that I was interested in. I took a a youth uh, ministry class. I took a class, I took uh, a class called Power Encounters. And Power Encounters was this class, um, the description of it was like, we're going to do spiritual warfare and deliver people from demons. And uh, it sounded pretty cool. I mean, doesn't that sound pretty cool? And I remember hearing stories of people that had heard of this class, like, dude, that class is crazy. They, they do spiritual demonic, uh, like, warfare, and you get to see demons cast out. And like, that's crazy, huh? And I was like, sweet, what a great elective class to take. Um, 
oh, how sweet will it be when I show up to class and there's like demons and like screaming and people throwing up and like running around. I mean, it's just, it's like, like a sideshow. I'm like, this class will be fun just to watch. Um, is what I pictured in my mind. And so on the first day of class, uh, the, the professor, Dr. Charles Kraft, maybe some of you know of him. He's written quite a few books on uh, demonic oppression and deliverance and spiritual warfare. He was teaching the class and introduced the class, introduced himself, um, that he was a missionary in Africa. As a, he's a doctorate in uh, African languages as well as uh, a, a doctorate in theology. And, and he was telling us about some things that he has seen over the years with demonic oppression. And then towards the very end of the class, he said, at the end of every class, we're going to do a practical thing where by which we pray over people and cast demons out of them. So do we have any volunteers today? And everybody was like, uh, just like looking around, uh, yeah, not, no way am I volunteering. Because here it is, a Christian class. And so he's like, basically the question was like, who wants to get a demon cast out of them today? And, and I, I promise you that there was probably like a minute or two of just silence where he's just kind of like waiting for a volunteer and everyone's just like sinking in their chair. Like there's no way. And finally some girl is brave enough to be like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll go up there. And so she was like, thank you very much. And so she came up on, on the stage. It was about 150. Imagine like a a lecture room that's kind of uh, tiered. And so it was, it was, uh, she sat down on one chair and then the professor sat down on another chair and they just began to have a conversation. And he said, well, why did you raise your hand? Why did you volunteer? And she said, well, I just, I feel like there's a spirit of fear about me. And he said, well, explain. And she said, um, well, every morning I get up, I'm just afraid for the day. I'm just totally stressed out. I'm totally afraid. Um, the, the seminary was in LA. And so she's like, every time I get in my car, I'm just scared to death of dying in a car accident, which is like, I felt that too in downtown LA driving around. But um, very serious fear for her. And she said, uh, I'm, I'm constantly afraid I'm going to die. I'm constantly afraid my friends and family are going to die. I'm constantly afraid that I'm going to hear news of someone dying. I'm just constantly afraid of failing a class. I'm constantly, and she's, she's, as she's talking, she's almost starting to tear up, just saying, I just feel like fear is attacking me. And, and the professor said, well, can I pray for you? And she said, yes. And then I'm like, oh yeah, here we go. We're going to see something like this. Look at that. Like, ah! Scene from The Exorcism. It's an old movie. Anyways, but the scene that was before us was more of like a counseling scene. And um, it was like this counseling scene of this old grandfatherly figure counseling this girl that was in tears about how afraid she is and how much she wants God to help her overcome this fear. And I don't want to discredit some of the stories in the Bible of, of shriekings and manifestations and demons being cast out and, and very like... Uh, just like you see all this stuff going on. But what I saw that day was just very pastoral. It was very uh, counseling. It was this, this man praying over this girl and saying like, things like, Spirit of fear, in the name of Jesus, we command you to leave. Um, and then she would, the, the professor would ask, young lady, what do you think the, the spirit of fear is telling you? And, and there was kind of this silence where she was like, wait, is the spirit supposed to manifest itself? And then she was like, oh, this, I think the spirit of fear is telling me that I'm going to die. I think the spirit of fear is telling me that my friends and family are going to die. And there's, there's something to be afraid of. And then the, the, counsel, the counselor, the professor, he said, well, where do you th- what do you think Jesus is trying to tell you? And she said, well, that he loves me and he is protecting me. And so more prayers of like just angels, watch over here. We cast out the name of, uh, cast out in the name of Jesus, the spirit of fear. And it was probably like, 
like this 15-minute conversation that it was just like, that, that, that was pretty cool. That I w- it didn't look anything like, you know, running around and screaming and, and turning your head around and puking out green uh, pea soup or anything like that. It was just this, like, beautiful, like, counseling. And, and so as the class, classes progressed and later on through the semester, uh, Dr. Charles Kraft would ask that girl, well, how, how, are you, how have you been doing with fear? And she would always have this report like, well, it hasn't been easy. But I just, I just feel like that day that you prayed over me, something broke, and I now have the tools and this insight to, to do spiritual warfare and to know that God is in control over my life and that he is taking care of me and angels maybe are protecting me and guiding me and the demons or spirits of fear have no place in my life. And it was just this really cool experience for me because I was expecting, I have these thoughts of like what an exorcism looks like mainly from Hollywood, um, but also in the Bible. There's these, these stories where there's shriekings and screamings and, and crazy stuff going down. But I just thought, well, here's this thing that happened, the spiritual warfare that's actually helping this girl. Like it didn't have all this showiness about it. In fact, Charles Kraft, the professor, later on through the whole semester, he would talk about how, you know, the whole thing with the demons showing themselves and, and, and manifestations, sometimes that's just for the show itself. And so we, we, he said, I don't want any part of that. What I have, want part in is helping people and pastoring people and giving them tools and strength to overcome demonic influences in their life, like that girl that had the spirit of fear, what she thought of. So, so yeah. So not as cool of a story as you once thought, huh? You're like, ah, I thought he was going to talk about girls' heads spinning around. Not so much. Um, but anyways, we'll talk about angels, demons, spiritual warfare today. So welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If you're new to the Mill Sunday School, welcome. This is kind of a gathering place for the nerds of new life. Uh, it is the, the Mills Sunday School. That's the college and 20-somethings. But we always kind of joke that we don't card at the door if you're younger than college and 20-something or if you're older than college and 20-somethings like me. That is perfectly okay. We welcome you in here. We are doing this uh, series on systematic theology um, and so welcome t- to that. If you're new, we do have car- visitor cards on the table. You can fill one out and bring it to the nice people as, the- as you leave. They'll give you a welcome CD with a worship song that Aaron Wagner sang. It's called You Are Love. He's back there. He's- it's a pretty cool song. Yeah, hi, Aaron. What's up, Aaron Wagner? Um, so you could get that if you're new. And so yeah, we're on this series. If you have the bookmarks on your table, we are doing a nine-month series in systematic theology. And I got to tell you, when we started this thing, I was like, uh, this, I feel like it's the right thing to do. I feel like it's really going to push us as the Mill Sunday School to go deeper. It's kind of the vision for the future of, the, of Sunday School to, to go deeper into a topic by taking nine months and going through all of systematic theology. But I kind of thought it was one of those things. It's like, I feel like we're going to do the right thing, but it's going to be unpopular and it's going to kind of, attendance is going to be down and people are going to be like, man, you're still doing systematic theology. This is really long, Joe. But it seems like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there's a lot of excitement about going deeper into one subject and taking nine months to do that. And so uh, I'm excited about it. Are you? Okay, good. Um, yeah, so this month we are in creation, this month of November. We are talking today about angels and demons, a creation of God. Last week we talked about how we believe in God and the creation that he created. We are creation dualists, if you were here. And then next week we are going to talk about evolution and creation. and have a panel of people up here representing different views of the Christian position of how did God create. But we started off last week uh, as far as... Um, 
us beginning this topic with open and closed-handed issues. And we talked about how um, we, we hold some views um, in, our, in our closed hand, and we would say that those are issues that we all as Christians believe in. Those are doctrinal issues. Those are creedal issues. Those are really important issues that all Christians would say, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, Jesus is Lord. The Bible speaks to us. God is real. Um, God created uh, salvation comes through Jesus, those kinds of things, closed-handed issues. And on the other hand is open-handed issues that we'd say, oh, there's all kinds of stuff that we can talk about in this room um, and, and disagree on and have a discussion about open-handed issues, methodology questions, and, and things like that. Um, and I've been hearing, um, I thought that these were really good terms, like open-handed, close-handed, and you would all understand what I mean. But this week I heard, because, because of the election, um, I know you don't want to hear any more about the election now that it's over. It's like, gosh, thank gosh, it's over. Um, but anyways, I heard a Christian talking and saying, this is a closed-handed issue. All Christians should vote for no gun control. This is a closed-handed issue. We should all, you know, as Christians, we need to carry guns. And, and as this is a closed-handed issue. There's, there's closed-handed. And I just thought, hey, am I using terms that, that's like, that is not what I mean by a closed-handed issue. Because I'm sure some of you in here are fans of guns. And some of you in here are not fans of guns. And, and we as Christians can agree and disagree about issues of the gun control. That is not a closed-handed issue. Gun control would be an open-handed issue, right? Right. I mean, you might feel very passionate about issues of politics, but so many of them would be open-handed issues. And so uh, hopefully I, I've described the open-handed and closed-handed issues in such a way that we understand what I'm talking about. So you're not just like, yeah, gun control, that's a closed-handed issue, just like Jesus is Lord. Like, nah, nah. One of them's closed and one of them's open. Let's be honest here. So anyways, um, for creation, for this month, uh, to wrap up the review very quickly, um, a close-handed issues is that we are creationists. We believe that at some point God created out of nothing. And, and to the opposite of that would be like, oh, God was just hanging around and the universe was around and time and space and the earth was all already around um, and God just kind of formed it. We'd say, no, God is all powerful. He created it out of nothing. It's all his. So everything is either God or his creation. And we talked last week about how we're creation dualists. And then the open-handed issue would be, well, maybe how God created and when God created. And we'll talk about that next week if you're interested in the evolution-creation debate. We will talk about how maybe the, the, the ideas of how God created, whether the earth is old or new, that's an open-handed issue. But we as Christians would all agree that God did create, and he created out of nothing. So therefore, uh, we made this picture last week and said, everything, everything uh, is either God or his creation. God wasn't... There's nothing that was around with God. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. He is the uncreated creator, the unmoved mover. Without him, there's nothing. Um, So there's him and his creation. Cool? All right, that's the review. So today we're going to talk about angels and demons. And uh, (laughs) if you look very closely and if you're good at spelling, uh, you'll notice that we made a spelling error. And so we're going to talk about angles and demons today. And, you know, we'll do some math. We'll talk about the difference between acute angles and uh, right-handed angles. And, and then we'll get into demons. Sound fun? <laughs> some of you are like, yeah, math rocks. No, it does, but not today. Uh, 
so I've learned something. We're going to talk about angels and demons. And this is, by the way, how you spell angel. Um, that's how you spell it. You spell it with the, the gel. Do you see the G-E-L? Um, and so if you learn anything today in the middle of Sunday school, and if you go ha- home and your mom is like, hey, what did you learn in Sunday school today? You could tell her, I learned how to spell angel because angels, uh, they put gel in their hair. And, and that's how we know how to spell angel. So now you'll never, I hope I will never spell angel wrong again uh, because angels put gel in their hair. Did everyone learn something today? Okay, so it's like, yeah, we could go home. Well, not yet. So anyways, so what we're going to talk about, there's tons of open-handed issues today. We're going to talk about four things. Angels, demons, then we're going to talk about Satan, and then we're going to talk about spiritual warfare and how we talk about these, how we define these things, how we would say, oh, angels interact with us, or how demons interact, or who Satan is, or how much power does he have, how much control does he have, uh, what will happen to him, um, all the, of these things that within this room, we might have very different ideas about what angels look like. Do they have wings? Do they not have wings? How much control do angels have? Um, what do they do? Spiritual warfare questions. Some of you are like, oh, I know all about spiritual warfare. This is how it goes. And then someone else is like, well, I know how, all about it too. And it's very different. I would do it like this and not like that. And so today, um, lots of open-handed issues. And I will continually remind us that this is an open-handed issue um, when we talk about um, the aspects of how we define angels, demons, Satan, spiritual warfare, what they do, their roles, what our roles are um, in spiritual warfare. And so lots of open-handed things today. But I wanted to begin with a discussion question for you all, which I think is an important part of the Mill Sunday School. We do sit at round tables. I think it's important to share ideas. And so if you're at a small table, join a bigger table because bigger's better. And I like how some of the tables have like converged and like double made double tables. I think that's pretty cool because then it's like, yay, we're bigger and awesomer and we can invite more people. So anyways, a high five for them later. But here's your, here's your discussion question. Quite simply, quite broadly, how does the spiritual world interact with the natural world? Maybe list some things, maybe talk about that for a minute, and then I'm going to go out with a microphone and see if any, any of you on behalf of your table would like to share about what you thought about answering the question, how does the spiritual world interact with the natural world? Ready, get set, discuss. All right. um, Does anyone, I have a microphone. I would love to hear what uh, some of you at your tables either talked about, just ideas. You don't have to have anything definitive. Remember, this is in some ways an open-handed issue, answering this question of how does the spiritual world interact with the natural world. But does someone want to start us off? Aaron Higgins usually starts us off, but he's not here today. <laughs> you guys know Aaron. <laughs> Anybody? Oh, Chris Russell, thank you for, for starting us off. It should, it, they'll get it. Josh is back there working. Give, give it another try. There you go. Uh, a little ridiculous in an example, but uh, I, I always thought it was uh, kind of like that movie, uh, Final Fantasy Spirits of Man. Oh, yeah. We all saw that. <laughs> Dude, outstanding. Yeah, like a, like the video game movie thing. So, <laughs> yes, in the back, I'll run the mic back here. And then, and then Sarah, you had something? Okay, I'll, I'll give it to you right after this young lady. Go ahead. I don't know exactly where you're going, but basically I can think of it as like humans. Like we're humans, but we all have 
Okay, yeah, so the humans, we have spirit and maybe body, and so the spiritual realm messes with our spiritual realm, either good or bad. Cool, I like that, good. Sarah, I'll bring this mic to you, and then, and then to Josh. I feel like we're talking about a fairy tale when we talk about like it angels does. and demons. Yeah. But I think we just kind of came to the agreement that a little bit that they are around us like evil and good and uh-huh. angels and demons are around us a lot more than we recognize that they are like yeah. in this room and outside and they're constantly around and constantly whispering in our ears one thing yeah. or the other and we just maybe don't take the time to recognize how often they are around. Yeah, so it's, it's something that maybe we're blind from a little bit. Yeah, Josh and then Dan Porter and then, go ahead. Uh, well, I believe that, you know, you can be influenced by demonic uh, influence. When Jesus went to the cross, you know, he understood we were not wrestling against one, one another. We're not fighting a battle against one another. And so when they crucified him and brought him to the cross, that's the reason why he could forgive them is because he knew that it was the enemy influencing sure. these people to crucify him. And it wasn't the people themselves. They just were a vessel of darkness. But you can also be a vessel of light and allow God to influence you in your actions. Yeah, that's good. This, it's a, he, uh, Ephesians 6.12, it says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against uh, powers and rulers of the dark age. He stole it? Josh stole it? Someone a while ago. You weren't paying attention? Oh, my gosh. So we, should we, does someone else want to share? Should we end with that? Jared, everyone's pointing at you, but you don't have to. No pressure, but your entire table is that. Jared, Jared. Okay, he'll say it. Okay, yes. I don't even know if it has anything to do with the question, but... <laughs> We were just saying that humans are kind of a combination of the spiritual and the physical. Saying yeah. that that like angels are completely spiritual, God is completely spiritual, and then His creation, like the Earth, is completely physical. Yeah. But we are a combination of the both, and we will never be apart from a body, nor apart from the spirit. That's good. So, 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 how does the spiritual world interact with the natural? Well, we are part of it both. That we are we have natural side, a physical side, and a spiritual side, and so yeah. That's good. Thank you to those of you that shared. Um, Let's talk about angelology. And look, I actually spelled it correctly this time. Um, And that is a real word, angelology, the study of angels. And so we have a bunch of things, uh, a bunch of angels showing up in the Bible. As early as uh, the book of Genesis, right after the fall, um, there's this angel that is sent to the garden to protect it with a sword. Have you, have you read that part before? It's really on, or really early on in our scriptures, this idea of, oh, here's this angel. Of course there is, because that's the God created them. And I looked up this morning, I was looking up, because it's always just kind of an interesting um, thing to look up as, to, as, as the number of times the word angel appears in the Bible. Does anybody do that. It's called a concordant search. Anybody do that? Nerds? Yeah, yes, nerd, Bible nerds. Um, you go to a website. It's probably the easiest way to do it nowadays instead of going to a concordance book. But you go to somewhere like BibleGateway.com. You type in the word angel. You spell it correctly. And then it tells you how many times it appears in the Bible. And this morning, I think I did the search on NIV, and it said that 290 times uh, the word angel appears 
in the Bible. And so it's like, well, that's a pretty big, it's not like we're just talking about like three mentionings of, of these beings, but 290 times throughout the Bible, angels, uh, the, the word angel is mentioned. And so we have these concepts of what angels look like. And, and the open-handed issue here is this idea of what they look like and what exactly they do here today. Um, because I would say that some of our um, maybe our interpretations or our views of angels comes maybe more from TV and Hollywood or paintings or um, uh, novels. Uh, I think of like Milton's Paradise Lost or Dante's Inferno. Talk a lot about angels and demons. And maybe some of the thoughts that we have about angels and demons come more from that than from the Bible. I think about this painting, a very famous painting. Anybody know who painted this? Starts with an R, one of the Ninja Turtles. Raphael. Yeah, he's the real one, not the Ninja Turtle one. Um, but yeah, so we, we, many of you have probably seen this painting before. These two chubby little angel boys or girls, not sure. Um, it's like, is that what angels look like? Like these cute, cuddly things with uh, wings? Or do they look like more like this? This uh, painting by also one of the Ninja Turtles. His name starts with an L. Anybody? Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci. Um, I don't know why I think that's funny. Um, but Leonardo da Vinci painted this, and this angel looks much more powerful. This angel looks much more serious. And so are angels more like this, or are they more like the cuddly creatures? Uh, or are they more like this, kind of things that surround us? I think Sarah mentioned this. Like there's constantly angels and demons uh, surrounding us, and there are how many of them? I put the, the sweet quote on the back um, of your notes is, by John Milton, author of Paradise Lost. He says this, uh, Millions of spiritual creatures walk the earth unseen, both when we wake and when we sleep. And of course, that's a quote not from the Bible, but from uh, a passage of his poem, Paradise Lost. Um, and so it's these ideas, of, well, how many angels are there? We'll talk about that in a minute. What do they look like? What are their roles? What, what do we see when we look into Scripture? And of course, once again, this is somewhat of an open-handed issue um, because we have to look at all the times that angels appear in the Bible um, and answer things like, well, how many of them are there? And I don't, there's not really any passage that says, here's how many angels there are exactly. But we do have passages like this where Jesus says, uh, if you're writing down Scriptures to look up later, Matthew 26. 53, Jesus says, um, he's, he's like on, on the way to the cross getting, um, uh, what is it? Uh, he's at the Garden of Gethsemane and says, uh, do you not think that I could call upon my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Sound like a lot of angels? Yeah. Anybody know how many a legion is? I looked it up, maybe 6,000. So 12 times 6,000, anybody? What's funny is I always hear like different numbers. Like, well, somebody's math is a little off. Uh, my math says 72,000 angels um, would, would, could be at Jesus' disposal. Is that a lot? Sounds like a lot to me. And then there's another verse, Hebrews 12, 22, that says, uh, you've come to the mountain, the city of God, the heavenly, heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. So how many is there? Sounds like there's a lot of them. Um, and then what do they do? Well, are they these physical uh, beings or are they spiritual ble- beings? Like, are, do we think about it as angels all around us? Well, some passages of Scripture, seems like they are. And then other passages, passages of Scripture, like the Old Testament passage of Scripture, I think of like Abraham and the angels coming to him. They're just like people show up and start having a conversation 
with Abraham. And there's that passage and then a really cool Newsboys song that's really old that says uh, entertaining angels, that we might be entertaining angels not having known it. And that somehow, like, we, like, somebody knocks on our door and is like, hey, you got any fried chicken? They're like, yeah, come on in. I got some fried chicken, some potatoes. Here you go. And we entertain them. We feed them. And then they leave. And then that was an angel. We get revelation later. Like, oh, that was an angel. Or I heard uh, a couple months ago a girl... Her car, uh, she got a flat tire, and uh, she didn't have a jack, nor did she know how to work a jack. She now knows how to work a jack, but she didn't at the time. She's like, oh, dang it, flat tire. I don't know what to do. I don't have a jack. And a guy pulled up, which is always kind of weird and creepy, uh, to help her. Um, but, but he got out, and he was really nice, and he changed her tire and went on his way. And then afterwards, she was like, what if that was an angel? And then she started thinking, like, oh, he had blonde hair. I think he was wearing a white T-shirt. Oh, my gosh, that could have been an angel. He saved me. I got to school on time. And, and she was going on and on and excited. And did I say no? Did I say yes? I just said, could have been. Like, we do have these stories in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, of angels appearing and, and people not sure that they were angels at the time. And the, the verse, like, we could even entertain angels not even even knowing about it. And so there's lots of open-handed issues here about, oh, was that an angel? Could that be an angel? How do they impact us? Uh, how do they help us? They are, throughout the Bible, sent as ministering spirits and sent to protect us. But how exactly does that work? Can we see them? Can we not see them? Can we have visions of them? Um, how does all that work? Well, lots of open-handed questions here, lots of open-handed answers that we could talk about. One thing for sure is that we still go back to this creation dualism and say everything is either God or his creation. Therefore, angels would be God's creation. Sure. And so we'd have to say, oh, okay, God created them. It wasn't like there was God and his angels are somehow a part of God. And, and they're just like, yeah, it was, it was angels and God that created the universe. And angels and God have always been. It's like, no, at some point there was God. And out of God, he created ex nihilo, out of nothing, angels. So angels are created beings of God. So that's pretty much all I want to say about angels, because I really want to get into this topic of this question that we brought up last week. And we are going to continue to scratch the surface. And maybe next month we'll put a dent in this question. Um, But it has to do with this. So if you think about this, so burn this idea in your memory and your thought. Um, This is what we believe as Christians, that there is God and his creation. And that's what we believe in. And so if you think about that and think about that really hard, this question might come to mind. Did it, did it come to some of your minds? Well, what about evil? What did, okay, if God is good, and we believe that, going back to last month when we talked about theology, which is, by the way, how, how cool it is that this system of systematic theology, this nine months, does go in an order that makes sense. And so we could look at, yeah, we could talk about God because we talked about him last month, and we could just, you know, build upon that foundation. So if we build upon the foundation that God is good, and he creates things that are good, well, then what about evil. How can we say that a good God uh, created evil, or a good God allows evil, or, or all, the, all of these things? And, and again, we're just going to scratch the surface today, and next month when we get into anthropology, the study of humanity, and the, the fall of humanity, we'll talk more about this in, in some more depth. But it does bring up a very good question. Did God create evil? And a lot of theologians uh, bring out the, the analogy of um, that evil is somehow like uh, cold. Have you ever heard this before? 
that, that evil is like cold. And if you've ever taken a physics class and learned about cold, you will know that cold is really just the absence of heat. And so you're like learning about thermodynamics and, and the teacher will be like, so next time someone says, hey, don't, let, oh, don't open the door, you'll let the cold in. That's, that's a ridiculous statement by way of thermodynamics and physics. You would say, don't let that air lacking heat energy come in. Or you would say, don't let the air with more heat energy than the outside heat energy out or something. And so it's like, whatever. So if you're really nerdy, you'd appreciate that. Um, so anyways, we could say that evil is somehow like uh, cold. That there's, that there's in, a, in a way, evil is this movement away from God. This, this, this space that we have, this free will. And you, you'll hear, whenever we, someone talks about the problem of evil and where it came from, you'll hear over and over again, um, uh, free will. Well, because God gave us free will, we're not robots, that we can turn away from him and we can invent things to do that are, are out of his will. And he allows it because of free will. Um, and so in some ways, that, that is the, the very short beginning to, to, it's not even an answer to the problem of evil because you still need to say, well, still, where did it come from and why couldn't God stop it? Is he not all powerful? Is he not all good? And we as Christians would say, he is all good. He is all powerful. He, the whole world is in his hands and he is a good, perfect, holy God. And so we will return and visit this problem of evil next month. But I, I brought it up today to bring up um, the next topic, which is demonology. Uh, the study of demons and, and where they came from. And there's a lot to be said about uh, where they came from because we're not totally sure, um, to, to be exact. But we would say, you know, going back to um, God and his creation, that we are creation dualists, we'd say that everything is either God or what he has made. Um, and so we'd say, well, then did God create demons? And then when he created them, were they bad guys? Or did he, when he created them, maybe they were good guys and maybe they fell. Um, here's a painting uh, of, of the, what's on your notes this morning. This is a painting by uh, Peter Bregal in the 1500s, uh, the Renaissance painting. And if you could see up close, uh, he calls this painting the fall of the rebel angels, which is maybe what some of you would say. You're like, yeah, where did angels come from? Um, we, would, we would quote verses like this, Second uh, Peter 2, 4, and say, uh, that says, for God did not spare the angels when they sinned. Uh, but then sent them down to Hades, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. And so an an answer um, that really goes along with um, God and his creation, that we are creation dualists, we'd say, well, God created angels, and they were all good, just like God created humanity, and humanity fell at some point, and so now there's sin and evil in this world. But then maybe before that or after that, it's an open-handed issue, we'd say, well, maybe God created angels, and they were good, and they were these really beautiful beings, and then some of them decided to sin and fall away, and maybe that's how we got demons. Have you heard that before? Have you thought about that before? I'm sure lots of you have, of course. Um, and so we have this idea of like angels and demons battling each other. Here's another verse for you if you're writing them down. Uh, Revelation 12, uh, starting in verse 7, says that in, in, heaven, angel, uh, in heaven, Michael and his angels were fighting against the dragon. And we, we have this going back to angels. There's, uh, it seems like there's some archangels. There's two of them mentioned in the Bible, Michael and Gabriel. And uh, they might be like, head angels. I don't know how it all works. And then there's cherubims and then there's other angels. Um, 
Once again, open-handed issue. But going back to the verse, uh, and the dragon and angels fought against uh, Michael and his angels, but he was defeated, the devil, the devil, or the dragon was defeated, and there was no longer any place in them from, from heaven. And then that uh, great dragon was thrown down, and it goes in to say that the ancient serpent was thrown down. Um, and so we have this idea of, of this good and evil warring and this battle going on between evil and goodness um, and angels and demons fighting us. And, and uh, Sarah made the comment, maybe even right now in this room, there's angels and demons warring over each other. Um, but what I think always is important about that, because if you get into that thought and you, and you're, you really embrace that and go into theologies of, of angels and demons warring each other and like, and this really get into spiritual warfare, I think that that's really cool and that's really needed in the church today. But what we would say, we'd take a step back and we'd say this sentence that we are not good, evil dualists. And what does that mean? Well, that means that good and evil are equal and opposite powers. That we are in some ways that God and Jesus and Michael and all the angels uh, have the same amount of power as Satan and his demons and Beelzebub. And it's like a constant war, good versus evil. evil. They're both the same strength. And to that we'd say, no, God is God. Going back to our, our close-handed issue, God created. And, and so angels and demons would be his creation. And so they're like ants compared to God himself. And so let me just make clear that, that we are not good and evil dualists, but we are creator-creation dualists. And all dualists just means is two things um, uh, that are equal and opposite uh, put together. So it's really more like this. This may be cheesy for you to look at, but the, the side of good is the side of God. And God is like the being that made all other beings. He is the one who has no beginning, no end. And so if there is this war going on between good and evil, and and somehow God is allowing it to happen here on earth, we have to take a step back and say, okay, God is in control. He is all-powerful. And by the term all-powerful, we mean all-powerful. And if so, if there is this battle between uh, good and evil, angels and demons, well, it's like they're just little chess pieces, and the chessboard belongs to God, and the chess pieces belong to God, and, and he is the one totally in control, and how awesome and good it is that he is an awesome and good God. Make sense? Okay, so if you hear me saying anything, um, you're hearing me say, uh, and we will talk about spiritual warfare in just a few minutes, but you, you hear me saying if, if you're into this world of like Frank Peretti novels, anybody a Frank Peretti fan? He wrote... Uh, what this present darkness, and he writes from this perspective of like angels and demons constantly warring and in battle with uh, with the things of this world. And so, oh, if you're having a good day, then well, maybe the angels that are helping you are winning that day. And if you're having a really bad day, well, maybe the demons are winning that day. And so, and there's spiritual warfare that needs to happen. And I would never accuse Frank Peretti of uh, being a good evil dualist and saying this this heretical thing that God and Satan are equal and opposite powers. He doesn't get into that. But I do know Christians that after reading those books really get into it and, and, are, and are all about this, this dualism and take it too far and say, oh, well, if, if only God was more powerful, he could take out, Jesus, or he could take out Satan. Uh, if only God was, was more real, then, then the demons wouldn't uh, have their foothold. It's like, whoa, slow down. God is real and good and all-powerful. And so that's the bigger thing to keep in mind. So um, we, we are not good and evil duelists. Make sense? Okay, the next topic uh, before we talk about spiritual warfare is the main demon, 
the, the prince of demons. He goes by a lot of different names other than Satan. Um, and that's what we do know about him. He goes by pretty horrible names like Beelzebub, which means Lord of the flies. He goes by Diabolos, which in Greek means slanderer. He goes by the word Lucifer, which I, I believe is a Latin word that means morning star. Um, he goes by, uh, what else? The devil, the, this adversary. He goes by uh, the accuser. That's, that's what the Hebrew word uh, Satan means. And so it's the Satan uh, often appears in the Old Testament, like in Job, the Satan came to God and uh, accused Job uh, of, of sin and was his uh, accuser. And so um, Satan, we, we have, these, we have uh, kind of this issue, open-handed issue of what Satan looks like and what his role is. And we have uh, things that don't really help us too much, like Halloween costumes that look something like this, look at this cheeseball guy. Um, of, of, and this, this would, you'd look at this and say, who is that? Well, it's the devil, obviously. And, and so our, in our mind, we're like, yeah, of course it is, because we have all these perceptions of, of what art and history and the Middle Ages and uh, novels and movies have given to us as this image of what the devil or Satan looks like. And this is, if you think about it, it's all wrong. Because, first of all, he's holding a pitchfork, right? And is there any place in the Bible where the devil holds a pitchfork? You could look for it, and I don't think you'll find it. If you do find it, it'll come talk to me. I'm wrong. But I do find in Matthew 3, 12, that Jesus is the one with a pitchfork, and he's separating the wheat from the chaff. And so it's like, wait, how in the world does the devil get the pitchfork when Jesus is clearly, clearly the one in Matthew chapter 3 of the one who is, who is separating the wheat from the chaff? Well, I don't know. It's just kind of Christian folklore or tradition that makes us think, oh, yeah, of course, he has a pitchfork, because he's always had a pitchfork. Well, I don't know. Where did that come from? Um, what, or what about this idea of like fire? Like, oh, Satan's going to burn you and use fire against you or something like that. But it's pretty clear in Revelation. And um, maybe you could just quote Hebrews twelve twenty nine that our God is a consuming fire. That God is the one that controls the fire. And it's actually the devil who is going to be punished in the lake of fire. So I would imagine that like the worst thing the devil would want is to be reminded of the fire thing because that's eventually where he's going, which is maybe why Dante, if anybody read Dante's Inferno in high school or just for fun, a um, few of you have, good. Um, it's an interesting uh, a poem, uh, and the devil is described not in fire, but in ice, if you've read it before. So that's an interesting take on it. Um, but we always think about the fire thing, and it's like, well, the, the devil's place, the devil's home after he's done is going to be, the, the, it does say in this verse that, that, that hell, the lake of fire, was made for the devil. Um, and then there's this idea of the devil always having horns. Where did that come from? Not really sure once again. There is um, that, that God in Revelation 5, 6 says the lamb, the lamb of course is Jesus, had seven horns and seven eyes, seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. So then it's like, well, wait, the lamb is supposed to have horns, not the devil. Where did all this imagery come from? Well, it just kind of comes from Christian folklore. And there's a lot of it. Um, there's this one. Anybody ever heard that the devil, uh, before he fell, was once in heaven as the worship leader of heaven? Anybody heard that before? But if you read in the Bible, can you find that passage? You're like, yeah, where's that passage where the devil was once a, a worship leader in heaven and then, and then he got bad and fell or something like that? Can you find that passage? No, not, it's just kind of this Christian folklore. Uh, I remember some School of Worship students last year were like, yeah, that's why it's so hard to be a worship pastor because Satan was once a worship pastor. And, then, and that's why we're so tempted. I was like, 
what? What passage did you get that from? But it is, it's like this Christian folklore that we just have these images of Satan with the pitchfork and the beard and the horns and the fire. And he was once a worship leader. Um, And and maybe some of us haven't read some of the passages about Satan himself. Um, Or maybe we attribute other passages to Satan. Like, for instance, this one. Um, And if I tell you that this one might not be about Satan, you might get mad at me. But once again, it's an open-handed issue. So if you want, you can look at Isaiah 14. Uh, This is a very famous passage that a lot of people are like, look, this has got to be about Satan. And it might be. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying it may or may not be about Satan. And it says this. uh, It goes on to say, uh, well, it begins by saying, this is a... Uh, lament, or this is a taunt against the king of Babylon. And Babylon was a real place, and Babylon, the king of Babylon was a real person. But it says this, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn, you've been cast down to earth. And so some people are like, that must be also, at the same time, talking about the king of Babylon, it might also be talking about Satan, how he fell from heaven onto the earth. Um, and so that passage is specifically about that. I still didn't hear anything about him being the head worship leader. But anyways, um, Uh, There's another passage, if you want to look it up later, Ezekiel chapter 23, where it says uh, some of these things like, uh, and this one's about the king of Tyre, which Tyre is a real place, and the king was a real person at the time of Ezekiel was writing. Um, And it's this taunt or this lament against the king of Tyre. And sometimes people are like, oh, this must be about Satan, because it says you were in the Garden of Eden. You had every precious stole. Uh, stone adorned about you, and then you sinned, and it goes on to describe that. So it could be about Satan, might not be about Satan. Once again, open-handed issue. But either way, he's cast down onto this earth. But it does seem like uh, in the book of Job, here's a, a painting uh, by William Blake uh, of w- when he talked about um, this painting of Satan pouring out bowls of oatmeal upon J- Job's face. Um, the oatmeal is supposed to be the, 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 the curse that that Satan pours upon Job. Anyways, cool painting. But anyways, the book of Job opens with Satan. He gets to go to God, go to heaven and say, hey, let's have a conversation about this guy named Job. And so it's like, well, is Satan just on this earth? Well, if you consider Job and if it's literal, well, then Satan gets to go to God in heaven and have this conversation. Interesting. Um, And then was it Satan that was in this uh, uh, painting, which portrays the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo's... uh, the, the ceiling of the ex, expo, the expelling of Adam and Eve in the garden. And the center character here is, of course, uh, the serpent. And that he painted it as like a human, half human, half serpent legs or something. Um, tempting Adam and Eve. And it's like, well, where did that guy come from? Because we could talk about the fall all day long and talk about how um, Satan, you know, how we fell and how sin and death entered into the world. Um, but well, who was that that tempted Adam and Eve? It does seem like the, the, God made the world good, but then there was this person, thing, serpent, devil that was already there tempting Adam and Eve. Um, and so I don't, I don't know. It's interesting. So let's conclude this, this, this morning with this idea of spiritual warfare. Um, because our enemy does roar around, roam around like a, like a roaring lion. I'm thinking of uh, the, the verse in Second uh, Peter. Um, he is our enemy. And these verses like Ephesians chapter 6 that says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities. And we should put on the spiritual armor of God. And what does that mean? Well, how does that mean? Like if we put on the spiritual warfare armor, what does that mean? What in the world does that look like? Is it literal? Do you put on the armor of God PJs? 
that Daniel Grothy made fun of a couple weeks ago, and you sleep with the literal helmet of salvation pillow head um, before you go to sleep. Is that what that means? Well, I don't think so. I think we're all uh, smart enough to know that we're not, we're not going to literally put on the armor of, of God, but we are going to hash it out in prayer. And so here's a painting of Jesus uh, praying for us in, in the Garden of Gethsemane by uh, Henrik Hoffman of, of the Renaissance, um, the late, uh, late Renaissance. And he painted this idea of, of Jesus, you know, he's just about ready to um, pray the prayers of, Lord, take this cup from me. And he's going to pray these prayers of intercession, like, Father, protect them, that those that come after me, to believe in my name, um, the name that you have given me. And we think about how spiritual warfare works, and we think about the dualism of creator creation, and we are on the side of the winning all-good God. We are on the side of a God who died for our sins in order to conquer evil. And so here's a, a Rembrandt of, of Jesus dying on the cross, this painting of this horrible suffering, but it's for us. And so it's Jesus taking death and killing death and destroying sin and wickedness for our sake so that in three days later, um, he would rise from the dead. And so we still, to this day, have that power. Uh, when, so when, when we consider spiritual warfare, praying in Jesus' name, we think about how he is the God, the good God of all creation, and how demons and Satan must just be like ants to him. And we can pray in the Father's name and have all authority. So, so I say all this to say we shouldn't have any fear. Because as soon as people start talking about angels and demons, I think some fear comes to us. It's like, oh, we have to fight this battle. Yes, we do. But it's already been won. It's already, Jesus is already victorious. We have power in his name. And so it's with that that we'll conclude today. I had some other things I was going to talk about, but it's uh, a minute early and I would love to end early. So let's pray. Um, Jesus, we come before you and, and God, we, we say that we are entering this battle of spiritual warfare, knowing that you have already won, knowing that we can say in the name of Jesus, spirits of, of fear or ungodliness, leave us now in the name of Jesus, leave this room. Um, Jesus, send your angels to come and protect us. Send your Holy Spirit to be inside of us so that we might know you and glorify you. So God, we leave here um, just knowing that you've already won the battle, that you've died on the cross for our sins, you've risen from the grave. So we love you. Jesus, we give you our lives and our honor and our praise to you forever and ever. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends, go in peace. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.